And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. This episode of Charlie's GeekCast is respectfully dedicated to the memory of Martin Pasco, who passed away on May 10th, 2020 at the age of 65. With a writing career that dates back to 1973, Pesky Pasco managed to write stories starring Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, The Justice League, The Atom, Dr. Fate, Swamp Thing, The Metal Men, Commandy, The Secret Six, The Blackhawks, Impulse, and many, many more. He also was DC's liaison with Warner Brothers, making sure that the comic characters stayed true to their comic roots in animation, movies, and television. He even wrote for TV, including shows that had nothing to do with comic book superheroes. Listeners to my show, Superman in the Bronze Age, will remember that his name appeared often in the Superman in Action Letter columns in the early 70s, and I also covered his lengthy run on Superman as well as his Action Comics 500 issue. Listeners to this show may remember that when I covered Superman 282 back in episode 43, the backup was one of his early stories, although now that I think about it, I don't know that I mentioned the actual creative team of that story, but, but he was the one that wrote it. Anyway, he also did some work for Marvel, but stuck with licensed books like Star Trek, Gargoyles, and even an issue of Disney's The Little Mermaid. His latest work included the 70s retroactive Superman story, which I also covered on Superman in the Bronze Age, and the comic adaptation of Superman Returns. His loss was sudden, but he will never be forgotten. Rest in peace, Marty Pasco. Ready to form Voltron! This is a job for Superman. Power Rangers! Right away, Michael. Autobots, transform! By the power of Grayskull! For the honor of Grayskull! I'm the Doctor. Everybody and welcome to episode 46 of Charlie's GeekCast. I am your host, Charlie Neymar, and today we are returning to 1983 to continue our look at the 45th year of Superman. But before we do that, we're going to play a couple of promos, so we'll do that, and I will be right back. Charlie's GeekCast will return after these promos. I hope he's home. it sound like i'm using a phone in the uk i told you never to call me again yeah i know and modern science has yet to create a device to measure how much i don't care look i'm getting the trailer for this year's jail may together and i assumed i had to make you a part of it since you're always in everybody's trailer or something <laughs> well look at you leading this year's jail may somebody's wearing his big boy pants so what's the theme I sent you an email like a month ago. 
like I even pay attention to anything you send me. Countdown to Infinite Crisis. Infinite Crisis? No, Countdown to Infinite Crisis. I'm not following. Shocking. The theme this year, I'm, I'm going to, like I'm talking to a child, the theme this year is Countdown to Infinite Crisis. I thought it was a fascinating time period in DC's history. So a bunch of us are getting together to talk about the various specials and miniseries and crossovers that led up to Infinite Crisis. It's the event before the event. The whole thing is going to kick off on April 30th, 2020, with a special episode of Views from a Long Box covering the Countdown to Infinite Crisis 80-page giant. And from there, a whole bunch of shows that I will be adding in post-production will discuss these previously mentioned miniseries and crossover issues. And people actually agreed to this? Shockingly, yes! Well, it's probably a good thing that you're going to cover Countdown to Infinite Crisis instead of the Countdown series, because that was a train wreck. Yeah, you know, actually, that was my thinking, too. Now, are you going to help me with this trailer or not? Fine. I will help you with your little trailer. Good. Uh, Don't worry, by the way. There won't be any dates for you to get wrong. I hate you so much. JL May 2020. Countdown to Infinite Crisis. The event before the event. This crossover kicks off on April 30th, 2020, on Views from the Long Box. And continues into Aquaman and Firestorm, the Fire and Water podcast, Robin, Everyone Loves the Drake, Pop Culture Affidavit, It All Comes Back to Superman, The Fan Holes Podcast, Justice's First Dawn, The Birds of Prey Podcast, Married with Comics, The Coffee and Comics Podcast, The Longbox Crusade, Task Force X, Relatively Geeky Presents, Wonder Woman, Warrior for Peace, and the Dr. DC Podcast. Well, did you miss me? Just here to tell you that the Management Podcast is returning soon with new episodes, weekly episodes. With Super Friends and the Christopher Reeve movies behind me, we head into the late 1980s with Ruby Spear Super Faster than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. Superman. Intercut with episode of Superboy. That's right, Ruby Spear Superman and the Adventures of Superboy. Coming soon to the Mainstream Podcast at www.com. We now return to Charlie's Geekcast. Rocketed as a baby from the exploding planet Krypton, Kal-El grew to manhood on Earth, whose yellow sun and lighter gravity gave him fantastic superpowers. In the city of Metropolis, he's known as mild-mannered TV newsman Clark Kent, but battles evil all over Earth and beyond as Superman. Our issue this time is Superman number 383, 
which had a cover date of May 1983, an on-sale date of February 10, 1983, and a cover price of just 60 cents. The cover, by Paris Collins and Dick Giordano, depicts a scene that we actually get to see in the book. Clark appears to be in the middle of changing to Superman, but the phone booth he's in is on fire, with a caption of, Caught in the Act. I actually like this one. We have a quite detailed background on this, uh, with building detail and a storefront. I mean, it's all the same color, but it's all there. And Clark looks pretty good, and the fire is really eye-catching. Uh, the surprising thing is Dick Giordano inked this art, and it doesn't really look like his work. Granted, I haven't seen his work over Paris Collins before, because I'm not all that up on uh, the Paris Collins work. However, Giordano usually has some stuff that sh proves that it's him. Also, he kind of over can overshadow some of the art sometimes. And this just doesn't happen here. It's kind of weird. Then again, maybe this is part of one of his other inkers in the continuity studios, and it's just giving credit to Dick Giordano. Hmm. Anyway. The title of this issue is Your World or Your Life, Superman, One Must Die, which really doesn't go with the story at all. Uh, the writer is Carrie Bates, the penciler is Kurt Swan, the inker is Dave Hunt, again. Uh, the letter is Ben Oda, the colorist is Anthony Tallinn, and the editor is Julie Schwartz. In deep space, Superman investigates a violent energy eruption by hurling himself through it for some reason. While his super senses detect that it is harmless, he's still disappointed that he hasn't been able to clear his head and sort out his situation with Lois. Not to mention that he gives no mention to needing to sort his head out about the whole Vandal Savage thing, but that's neither here nor there. Speaking of Lois, she's currently on a plane taking off from Metropolis Airport and headed towards the Middle East. However, her mind is currently on her breakup with Superman, and while it serves as a good recap of what happened in Action 542, it also allows her to fully realize that a lot of it came from her realizing that she'd never have a full, committed relationship with Superman, and that it is time for her to start living her life for herself, rather than thinking about him first. In Metropolis, a construction crew unearths some sort of glowing metallic object that looks a little bit like the top of the helmet. I don't see it, but that's what they said. Meanwhile, at WGBS, Superman tries to get inside to resume his Clark Kent identity, but he keeps running into roadblocks. His usual storeroom is currently occupied by Perry White, who appears to be dealing with a doozy of a problem in private. In his office, Lana is currently placing a rose on his desk, allowing him to reflect on the budding relationship between Clark and Lana. Finally, he heads up to the roof, but even that is currently occupied by Morgan Edge and Steve Lombard. It seems that Steve's on-air demeanor has become a point of contention, and Edge has given him six months to improve. But that was six months ago. And while Edge still hasn't really seen much of an improvement, he's hired a data firm to conduct an audience survey to see how he's doing. Fortunately, while they had this conversation, Superman was able to use the Daily Planet Globe to block him from their site, and he changed the Clark. Back at the construction site, that glowing metallic object has unearthed itself, and it turns out to be a seven-foot-tall armored giant. At WGBS, Clark is about to return to his office when he hears Lana grab a cameraman, not that way, to go cover the giant. So he rushes to a janitor's closet to change, but it's currently in use as a private makeout area. So, now that Lana is gone, he runs back to his office. Shortly, Superman arrives on the scene, where after a short tussle, Superman takes off with the armored warrior just as Lana and her cameraman arrive. Up in the clouds, the warrior lets out an energy discharge similar to a small Nova, causing the Man of Steel to release the warrior. But at this point, his super hearing picks up a distress call from a passing plane with ice on its wings. 
Superman is about to use heat vision to save it when the warrior fires off two fireballs powerful enough to melt the ice without damaging the plane. Although this confuses the Man of Steel, Superman uses the clouds the warrior is flying through and some super breath to freeze the warrior in a giant chunk of ice. As the chunk falls to the ground, the warrior uses another energy burst to bust free, causing turbulence for a passing jetliner. As a result, the warrior disappears, leaving Superman to wonder where it came from. By the way, that jetliner just happens to be the one Lois is on, and she is none too pleased to be in the one place affected by a job for her ex. But if she wasn't so determined to not look outside for fear of seeing Superman, she noticed that the warrior was catching a ride on the wing until it was far enough away from Superman, at which point it disembarked and crashed to the ground. Back at WGBS, a mysterious stranger asks a young man named Justin to help out in taking some flowers up to Lana Lang for him. However, upon completing the delivery, Lana believes that Justin is the mysterious secret admirer who has been harassing her for the past few weeks. But it turns out that he's just Justin Moore, the Daily Planet's newest cub reporter that was hired by Perry in Action 542. That's kind of cool. We haven't had a cub reporter since Jimmy, so it's nice that they're bringing back a new one. Maybe, maybe Jimmy can teach him. Anyway, elsewhere, Clark is in a phone booth receiving a call from an informant, but interference on the call leads Clark to discover a loose solder joint. Before he can repair it with a quick burst of heat vision, the phone booth is wrenched from the ground and begins to burn from the bottom. Looking up, he sees that the warrior is the cause, and once the phone booth and Clark's clothes have been vaporized, he leaps into action as Superman! Which is wrong, because it's the wrong comic. Anyway, after several super blows proved to be ineffective, and the warrior reveals that it can speak now, it slams into Superman with incredible speed, forcing him into space and slamming him into the moon. During the trip, the warrior reveals that he is called Robrox, and was created eons ago by an advanced benevolent race that buried it underground until the Earth would be jeopardized by a celestial catastrophe it could not possibly survive. And wouldn't you know it, it turns out that the menace that activated it is Superman. Robrox then tosses the landing base of an Apollo landing module at Superman, who activates his heat vision to vaporize it. But when he does, the entire moon is enveloped in radiation. While it only would have been momentary, it would have been lethal to all living beings on Earth. See, it turns out that the violent energy burst that Superman dove into at the beginning of the issue was apparently created by the Superman Revenge Squad and had contaminated Superman's eyes so that he, could, he would have killed everything on Earth the next time he used his heat vision. Hence, the reason Robrox saved the plane with the iced wings before Superman could, and then prevented him from fixing the phone in the phone booth. Of course, it also messed up Clark's story, but, you know, whatever. Unfortunately, at this point, Robrox collapses. As it turns out, he had to use up all of his energy in order to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with a Superman. After Superman buries Robrox, he heads back to Earth to begin a world patrol. Meanwhile, in the Middle East, Lois is about to meet up with the diplomats, with the feeling that once this assignment is over, her life will never be the same. Alright, let's move into the notes section of this episode. Uh, in the notes, on page 2, I understand that there isn't much that can hurt Superman, but just throwing himself through the energy burst, it just seems pretty stupid. For one thing, what would he have done if it did hurt him, or took his powers, or turned him into some sort of super monster? I mean, come on. Also, he has enough experience at this point to know better, and, and see... This must be a recurring thing for him since the Revenge Squad was betting on him, throwing himself into it. If he had brought some equipment from the fortress to analyze it, the whole plan would have fizzled and we wouldn't have had a story. 
All right, and pages two and three together, there is some interesting continuity that I didn't catch last episode. In Action 542, when Lois talked to Perry about getting out of Metropolis, she wore an outfit with a yellow blouse and a red necklace. A few days later, when she left to go to the airport, she wore a red blouse with a yellow necklace that actually looked a lot like Kurt Swan drew the same outfit, but it was colored differently since it had been a few days. And then now here on the airplane, she's back in the yellow blouse with the red necklace. Also, how long has she been at the airport? Since she left WGBS, Vandal Savage has had his press conference, and then Superman had enough time to fly out to deep space to check out this energy thing, and the flight is still near Metropolis during Superman's battle with Robrox. I mean, time is very weird in this issue. More on that in a minute. Page 4. One of the unfortunate limitations of the coloring of the time is that you can't tell that Robrox's helmet is glowing. I mean, there are some lines that are supposed to indicate it, but they're kind of covered up by other lines to show the dirt and stuff. Also, how could the construction worker tell it was a helmet? It didn't. All you could see... Now, granted, maybe that's the script versus the art, but the art did not look like a helmet. It looked like a, a big bump, maybe a stone or a rock or something. You couldn't tell. Okay, and then pages four and five together. I like the gag of Superman not being able to change the Clark because his usual places were occupied. It's also a good way to bring us up to date on the other subplots without a flashback and leads us into this new subplot involving Steve. It's actually kind of creative. I did get a little bit of a chuckle, though. And moving all the way up to page 16, this is a great way to introduce Justin and yet another subplot. And then page 19, the final panel where Robrox slams Superman into the moon. It literally looks like they destroyed the moon. Page 20, I like the use of the leftover Apollo machinery being used, but the landing base looks like a small rocket. I don't think that's quite right. Granted, did I look it up to see if it was quite right? Heck no. Uh, but um, I, I, it just looks like almost a full rocket there, like, like the lunar lander is on the base still but then how did the guys get home so anyway uh page 21 the effect of the energy reflecting off of robrox's face is really neat here uh because i mean he's dark blue and black but it, you can see some of the pink reflecting off of the, the pink lines reflecting off the suit it looks really cool uh let's see page 23 after taking forever just to get out of metropolis airspace Lois's flight was able to get all the way to the Middle East in the time it took for Superman's fight with Robrox, the second one. This makes my head hurt. Anyway, overall, this didn't feel quite as modern for 1983 as the action issue. I think it's because of the classic Carrie Bates story, but there are the subplots that kind of bring it more, make it more modern uh, because they didn't have the subplots in the classic Carrie Bates type stories. But so it's kind of a combo. Despite that, other than Superman's brain fart at the beginning, the characters did seem to be consistent between the two books. Then again, I guess you could say that he was a little off because of the Vandal Savage thing and Lois leaving. It would have been nice if there would have been some mention of Savage in here, though. It's just completely ignored. But that's it for this issue. Uh, so playing us out is the number one song during this issue's release, which is Africa by Toto. And I'll be right back.
Charlie's Geekcast will return after these promos. The Fire and Water Podcast Network is a collection of super friends plus shag. So what could be more appropriate than a podcast about the super friends? It's for all mankind, a Super Friends podcast, a read-through show about the classic DC comic book series covering all 47 issues of the original run plus a few surprises. Hosted by me, Rob Kelly, and a rotating group of my Super Friends. Coming soon from the Fire and Water Podcast Network. It all looks good to me. I know it's heartbreaking to have your favorite shows preempted, but look what you're getting instead. TLU Cast brings you Justice League Season 2. Back in business. The Justice League faces their greatest foe. This is a chance to rid ourselves of the League once and for all. Dark Side, Brainiac, Dr. Destiny, Lex Luthor, Amazo, Vandal Savage, Eclipso, The Joker, Harley Quinn, The Royal Flush Gang, The Secret Society of Supervillains, and themselves? Dale Ucast Season 2, available on iTunes and Apple Podcasts and at firewaterpodcast.com. Always have to be the hero, don't you? Right back at you. We now return to Charlie's Geekcast. Alright, so let's take a look at some feedback. First off, going to the website, charliesgeekcast.com, we've got a comment left by Dave McElvaney, and he writes, As someone who was reading comics at the time this story was first published, I recall it as an odd time for Superman and his friends, ultimately ultimately leading up to the Crisis on Infinite Earth storyline. At the time, my Silver Age trained sensibilities were confused by the kinds of changes that were happening. But, in retrospect, I see them more as writers, artists, and editors looking to refresh the stories and characters. I don't know that this always worked as well as it might have, but I think this story was at least the beginning of a good approach. It certainly helped give me a new respect for the character of Lana while retaining respect for Lois. I look forward to hearing your take on more stories from around this time. Well, thank you, Dave. And now moving over to email. First up, I got an email from Professor Allen who does the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network, and he writes, Charlie, I just wanted to drop you a note and tell you how much I've enjoyed having new episodes of Superman in the Bronze Age. I read a ton of these issues back in the day, and thanks to Cheap Bins and the DCU app, I've read a ton of these recently. This was a fun and interesting era for the Man of Steel, and it's great you're back telling us all about it. Keep up the good work. Well, thank you, Professor. And finally, 
we have an email, a nice short little ditty from Russell Bragg. And I don't know if you know this, but he's from Clarksburg, West Virginia. Russell writes, hello, Charlie. Hello, Russell. Hope all is well during these times. We're fine. Amanda and I had been working from home, but are now back at work, at least for now. You know how things could change. Don't think that I'm ignoring your non-Superman in the Bronze Age episodes. I just ran out of time to comment on your Superman vs. Asteroids one. Uh, Russell, you can send, you can write about that anytime you want. That's okay. Uh, I mean, some people don't listen to these right as they come out. So, you know, whenever. If you want to, you don't have to. I'm not saying, never, never mind. Let me just keep going. I could visualize each show you were commenting on, but I can't remember the last time I actually watched them. I'm sure the Lois and Clark and Superboy I watched when they originally aired. I do have them all on DVD in my collection, so I need to watch them again at some point. Well, you got me this time. Action Comics 542 is not in my collection. I think I've been concentrating more on the Superman title lately. I actually only need issue 237 to complete all from Superman 233 until the end of the Bronze Age. Wow. That... What? That's awesome. Very good. <laughs> uh, sorry to sidetrack. On to Action 542. You had mentioned Lois being a lot of the Superman titles during this time. In terms of DC Comics Presents, she only appeared in 28 of the 97 issues. And if I remember correctly, she only made token appearances. She wasn't really a main focus, with a few exceptions, of course. Actually, what I... And maybe I didn't come off very well. I didn't mean that she made appearances everywhere, but like... It would be referenced, so Superman might say he had to get back for a date with Lois, or he was, you know, in the middle of a date with Lois, or he's going to be late for a date with Lois, or, you know, he's been enjoying time with Lois without actually seeing her. So maybe I didn't put it that way, but I, I was saying, I was trying to say that the two of them dating was referenced in all the Superman books, maybe not that she was actually there. I counted 19 Supermen on the cover. I may be the only one, but I liked that Superman or Superboy was intelligent enough to create robotic helpers or replacements. Of course, I like the Supermobile and Super Ventriloquism too, so maybe it's just me. Uh, Russell, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, it's just you. No, I'm just kidding. The uh, Ventriloquism, yes. The uh, Supermobile, it's not bad, you know, if he doesn't have his powers. But uh, yeah, the, the robots are actually really cool least to me. I still don't really understand why pollution caused them to become inoperable. I also believed he used Clark Kent robots at times to preserve his secret identity when necessary. I was curious about Inspector Henderson appearances, so I looked them up. Of course you did, Russell. Thank you. He made 50 appearances before Crisis on Infinite Earths, with the majority of them coming in Superman family. I know Superman will defeat Vandal Savage eventually, but I just didn't like how easily Superman was tricked. Maybe he was too distracted by the Lois situation. And DC Comics Presents Annual Number 1, Earth 2 Superman has a talk with Earth 1 Superman about romance for super beings like them. I really thought he'd gotten through to him and that it would lead somewhere. I guess not until the end of the Bronze Age, huh? I think I believe your hypothesis that the Earth 1 Superman was afraid of commitment. Guess that's all I have for this time around. Thanks for keeping me entertained. Russell Bragg, Clarksburg, West Virginia. Whew! That's one of the shorter ones. No, I'm just kidding. Thank you very much for writing in, Russell. That actually came out just um, actually before all this, so that would have actually been a good thing to have in there, and it's also a reference to uh, 
they're dating, so that worked out. Anyway, all right, that's going to be it for this time. Um, I will be back relatively soon with another episode covering Action Comics 543. So until then, I hope you all have a great day, great however many days. Stay safe. Don't forget to wash your hands and wear your masks. And I will talk to you later. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to Charlie's GeekCast. Feedback for the show can be sent to charliesgeekcast at gmail.com or you can feel free to leave a comment at the show's posting at charliesgeekcast.com. All images and music heard on the show are copyright their respective copyright holders and are used for entertainment purposes only. No infringement is intended. Charlie's GeekCast is a proud member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. Please be sure to stop by Two True Freaks to check out more great shows. Thank you again for listening and good night. <laughs>